Oh, it's a voice that says that now. Uh, all right. Liberty Expert Nation. I'm here with a Liberty Expert, uh, Gabriel Shear. Now, I first ran into Gabriel, um, I think about six years ago. I, I was just newly uh, elected leader of the Libertarian Party. And um, I think he interviewed me on his podcast. And at that time, Gabriel was embarking on a big adventure. He was heading down to Chile to go Galt. Uh, and he had taken his, he, Gabriel is a, a early Bitcoin adopter. And I think he made some, some good money from, uh, from crypto and he took it and, and, uh, decided he was going to make a freedom community down in Chile. Now he's back in Canada. So I want to catch up with Gabriel and find out what's going on and what he's up to next. And a uh, very interesting young man here. So Gabriel, welcome to the Liberty experts. Great to be here. Yeah. It's been like almost seven years. <laughs> wow. Wow. And so tell what happened. So last I heard you were going down to Chile. I kind of have been following you a little bit on social media and it seems like uh, you were building something pretty cool down there. What, what's, uh, what brought you back to Canada? What's your story between uh, then and now? Yeah, well, I didn't go down there with the intention of becoming a real estate developer, but life kind of spun me in that direction. Um, I was attracted to Chile in the first place because I don't know, I guess people of our type tend to think long-term and look ahead and try to spot da- uh, hazards on the road right. ahead. And it was, it was looking like there was a lot of money printing going on and a lot of new policies coming into play that we weren't huge fans of. And it seemed like having a backup plan was the thing to do. So around 2013, there was a real estate project in Chile starting up that caught my attention. It was appealing specifically to the Bitcoin community and libertarian types and such. So it seemed like, okay, that's where all the cool kids are going to be. I should probably get on down there. And uh, so I did. I just sold all my stuff and took a leap of faith. And I just showed up there and said, well, I don't know what has to be done around here, but it's a great idea and I want to help somehow. So just throw me at whatever has to get done. And uh, they said, well, our IT guy just quit. So how do you feel about going in the sales office and dealing with all the customers and managing the website and Facebook page and stuff? Okay. Okay. Sure. <laughs> so I jumped in there and uh, within, the f- I guess, the first month or two, it started to become pretty clear that they were basically selling plots of land that had not been legally subdivided and could not be legally subdivided because the whole area was environmentally protected. Oh, shit. So as soon as that became common knowledge, then everything obviously collapsed and everyone was very ticked off with the founders and me and the few people that were still kind of clinging on to hope for something coming out of it decided to, well, why don't we just do this somewhere else? <laughs> like, right. It's not not that hard. And like during the three months I was there, I kind of learned how the business works in general terms and what's important and what to focus on and everything. So a few friends in the States had been watching from afar and called me up and said, Hey, do you want a hand with this? So yeah, absolutely. I, three friends came down and we formed a four-way partnership and just started throwing ideas out there and attracting people that were interested and just incrementally over time, you know, we didn't really have any capital to start out with, but by attracting members that wanted to participate, we were able to, you know, take one step at at a time and slowly build this thing up, you know, go out and find land and buy it and hire an architect and do soil scent. Like there's all these little steps along the way that most people don't even think of when they think of building something. There's a lot of non-building steps involved first. <laughs> right, right. Uh, 
Yeah, and, I, and, I, and I guess, why did you stay in Chile at that time? Because you could have probably gone anywhere and, and done that idea. But wasn't Chile seems yeah. like a pretty free market place, right? Or did it they have had been marketed reforms? as that. Right. Yeah. Um, it had really been pushed as a free market bastion in South America where regulations were minimal and barriers to entry were low. And in some cases, that's true. But there are enough irritations and extra barriers that counterbalance those. So, I mean, in time we learned that it's not really worth it. I mean, right. The uh, the advantages were overhyped and the disadvantages were completely glossed over. Mm. <laughs> but right. uh, anyway, it was it was a good sandbox to pl- play and practice in, I guess. Right. Um, and there was always the allure of just being really far away from any potential disasters, like if you're thinking of any kind of global conflict or anything like that in right. the future, I mean, the way that weather patterns work and currents, I mean, any nuclear fallout in the Northern hemisphere would stay up there. There, there aren't any targets down South. And so it seemed like that was like a safe escape hatch that could appeal to people that right. thought about such things. Or if your country locked down because of a trumped up flu, uh, you know, <sighs> but now you're back here right in the middle of that. So that didn't quite work Chile out. was even worse than Canada, man. <laughs> oh, really? In terms of the lockdowns? Yeah. yeah. And that was something else. I mean, you can't know these things going into it. You have to kind right. of hang out for a while and see how people deal with things and how the culture is fabricated. Um, right. There's theories as to why they are this way. Maybe it's some kind of post-traumatic stress thing related to the Allende Pinochet coup era and Mm. all that stuff, but they are very obedient people when it comes to following authority, following Mm. the state, following health mandates and all that kind of stuff. Like as soon as that virus came along, the government could make anyone do anything. Wow. Which was weird because just before that, the country had erupted in riots and there was a real fight the power kind of sentiment waving over the whole country. And it, it looked like, Oh wow, they're going to like hmm. descend into anarchy or something. Right. But uh, let's so, hope. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh man. And that's the thing is that this, this uprising that broke out in 2019, it, it was fight the existing government, not fight government right. in general. They right. wanted to kick the existing center, right, cronyist Mitt Romney style government out and replace it with hardcore socialism. Oh yeah. So basically what, what we see, you know, in, in the U S and some degree in yeah. Canada, you've got all these social justice warriors fighting the power at, so that they can <laughs> take power and stamp yeah. their boots down on, on people. Yeah, exactly. And so 2019 is when everything really went south. Um, things snapped very quickly. Uh, it was towards the end, end of the year. I remember the Joker movie had just come out in theaters. And so everyone was going to see this movie and then coming out and wanting to like reenact the riot scene. And that's exactly what happened is Santiago just burned wow. like skyscrapers burned down and they torched oh. the Metro system. The entire subway system was destroyed. Like crazy. We've never experienced anything remotely like that in Canada okay. and probably never will. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a bit more stable. And so, so Chile was a great place to, to practice, to make some mistakes, to play in the sandbox, as you say, but didn't you, you found love in Chile as well. Didn't you bring a wife back? Well, she's from California. She was oh, just she's from attracted. California. Yeah. She was just attracted to the project. <laughs> right. Right. 
I mean, okay, theoretically, well, I could have been doing that anywhere, you know? <laughs> right, right. But, you know, she, she was attracted to this, this guy who was an adventurer, entrepreneur, who was, you know, yeah. and, and I mean, you know, if you had done it in a safe place or somewhere less right. appealing, you might not have found her. So, so you, right. you, you guys got together down in Chile, but uh, obviously when things seemed to go south and Santiago was burning, um, he decided to make an escape plan. So now you're back in Canada uh, with your wife and, uh, you know, welcome back. It's good to have some some fellow freedom lovers back in Canada. God, we need you back here. Uh, let's just say that. What What are your plans now? Where are you at and what are you, what are you doing? A lot of the lessons learned down there were like recalibrations and restructures of priorities. Um, the elements that attracted me down, like the low barriers of entry and the minimal regulations and stuff, that's all nice. But when things go south, when chaos breaks out, you know, when, when circumstances change for the worse, let's just say, your mind quickly switches to who's around me? Who can I trust? Is this a stable situation that I'm in? What's the culture like? Are people compatible with me culturally? That Those are the things that you start to think about and, and that matter most. And there was no way that in Chile we would ever have the ideal situation in those sense because like we would always be the foreigners, the white gringos from the northern imperial lands that may or may not be CIA plants, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. Like even if we all got citizenships and learned language perfectly and went to every community barbecue, like that would always be a factor. Hmm. And because we come down and we're building stuff and like we look like we're just rich and like we're perfect targets. And now, especially with this socialist wave thing, like when the riots broke out, suddenly everyone felt that they had moral license to go after capitalists. So right. we were raided like within a wow. night or, or, or two, like I woke up to the sound of scratching at, at the door while I was camping on site. Things had been perfectly peaceful till then. But I thought, oh crap, there's a rat trying to get in and get some food or something. So I just kind of staggered out there to shoot the rat away. And oh, there's five guys dressed in black and a shotgun and they're here to raid us. Oh, great. So, <laughs> so it's like, when, when you have to deal with that kind of stuff, you can no longer promote your project as being family friendly. Right. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So wow. we really had to just change venue and take those lessons and go, okay, where can I be most effective as an individual? That's right. never going to be Latin America, not in a million yeah. years. Yeah. It doesn't matter how hospitable the government today is. It can change tomorrow very, very quickly. Like the right. seasteading guys learned that when they tried to go down to Honduras and, and build a free private city down there. Suddenly a right. new batch of guys came in and changed their minds and like, okay, the whole, whole deal's off. Sorry. You know? Yeah. And that, so, that kind of <clears throat> confirms, you know, old Stefan Molyneux's hypothesis there about peaceful parenting, right? Cause it's yeah. probably something about how, how you're raised as kids that has everything to do with what kind of society, uh, culture, uh, government you end up with. Yeah. And, uh, obviously, you know, they're the, the government's changed down there quite regularly from one type of authoritarianism to another type of authoritarianism, uh, maybe. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, that, that has some, a lot to do with, um, with, yeah, peaceful parenting. So unless that changes, it's probably likely never to be a safe place, um, for you. So yeah, that's and like, kind of interesting. Canada's a funny animal. Cause like to outsiders looking in, all they really see are the news reports and like, the headline stories and those always come out of 
Toronto or Vancouver or something like that's where all the news comes out of, which is a very minuscule, tiny little fraction of what the physical country is like. This is a vast swath of the planet. If you're including water, we're basically we are bigger than Russia if you include territorial waters. So it's the biggest chunk of real estate on the planet. (laughs) Right. But the news that reflects us is just such a tiny fraction that I don't think does represent most of us. And, well, and and it's particularly not rural Canadians, right? I mean, exactly. most of, Can- most of Canada's is- landmass is rural, and the yeah. folks that live in those areas are cut from a different cloth than the people that maybe inhabit, that, you know, the Very big metropolitan so. areas. And you know, it, those are freedom-loving people. They're people that don't see much need for government, mm-hmm. and and you know, they're community-oriented. They help each other out, and they'll always have your back. And and you know, that yeah, they're just great people. But they are still susceptible to the temptations of socialism. And you have to take that into account. Like I grew up on a farm and in Saskatchewan back in the 90s, it was run by the NDP. And so the socialist tendency among the farmers was to sell their wheat to the wheat board because that's how it was structured at that time. Everyone just, oh, this is a great plan. And we all just sell to the same buyer. What could be simpler? And they deal with all the marketing of the grain on the foreign markets and stuff. So we don't have to. And that made them lazy. That made them complacent. That that robbed them of their entrepreneurial uh, mental workings, so to speak. So, I mean, fortunately, yeah, that's, that's kind of, a fair point. Yeah, I saw that with my dad and with with other farmers. Yeah. Around, so, and of course, they love to celebrate the socialized medicine that Tommy Douglas came up with and all oh, that yeah, stuff. And so you do still have to take those tendencies into consideration and not just overlook them or, or insult them or, or whatever. You have to kind of appreciate what their values are and why they are tempted by those things. So if you ever make any libertarian arguments or appeals to them you have to remember those and and make sure to work into your your uh narrative like how those factors are are dealt with in a free market and why they're why why they're better and like appeal to their pride you know because managing your own farm is kind of a big deal (laughs) like you can't just specialize in one skill set regardless of what kind of farm it is, there's a lot of different things to be done, whether it's mechanical stuff, working on machinery or chemistry or biology of the plants or whatever, like weather and like so many things. And so if you can really tap into that pride of like, look how much you're accomplishing on, mm. on your own terms, you're, you're running yeah. your own business and it's, it's fantastic. And uh, you don't need the state apparatus for that because we all love to just do stuff on our own terms like especially farmers growing up like we never asked the government for permission to like build a new road to access a field or whatever like if something had to be done we just did it you know and (laughs) if if it affected neighbors then you would call those neighbors up and involve them in the process and it was all all good Mm. and i remember one summer like our straw bales caught fire and like the whole farm could have burned down and of course, the the nearest volunteer fire department is a twenty minute drive away, right? So that, that's not really an option. But right. the neighbors saw the smoke; they came, put it out. That's that's just how it went. Yeah. So things actually work much better when people are in that that voluntarist free market mindset in that mm-hmm. context. Because if if we had just relied on the government to put the fire out, everything w- would have burned. You know, if if yeah. you need cops, you have to wait 
at least half an hour, you know, because they're half an hour drive away, you, you would have much better luck calling your next door neighbor who could muster all of the other neighbors. And, you know, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, and, and it's interesting how the state corrupts that, right? Because here you have these salt of the earth people who, you know, naturally look out for each other, you know, and you can't deny that rural living and living in a community where you get together at the town, you know, the local community hall and have your dances and get togethers and you, you, you know, have potlucks at church and like the community, I miss that about living in, in rural Alberta, but then the state comes in and and corrupts that and issues dairy licenses with supply management and, and brings in the wheat board. And next thing you know, you have farmers, you know, in convoys going to Ottawa whenever they threaten to take away the handouts. And, and it's just, uh, yeah. it's kind of sad. But but let's get back to your story here for a second. You know, one of the things that occurred to me is is just, um, you know, on the Chile front, you know, the alt-right likes to make a big deal out of Pinochet and helicoptering, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, commies. Well, it seems like the commies are back and all that helicoptering didn't win the, the day, right? It might have been a short-term solution, but at the end of the day, this is a grind and this is a multi-generational project, the, the, the project of liberty, and it requires a shift in culture. It's not as simple as replacing exactly. the authoritarian figurehead at the top and thinking that you can use force to change a culture and change society towards a liberty-oriented one. Um, and, and I think that that is uh, a really powerful lesson that you can throw in the face of these people who who think that all, all we need is the right strong man in power and everything will get better. Um, you know, it's it's a real lesson. Yeah, I mean, you, you can only hold the ping pong ball up underwater for so long you know right that's a good eventually everyone dies and even if it does take that long you know when you're dead you let go and the the ball just shoots right back up to the surface yeah yeah (laughs) it's basically what has happened that tension is always there yeah 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 okay so you're back in canada you're in saskatchewan um i can tell by the the background picture that you're in saskatchewan there that's uh looks just like (laughs) um what what, what's on the horizon for gabriel i'm the entrepreneurial well, gears a- must be turning. Yeah, I'm just applying all the lessons learned down there to this new venue. Like it, our members for the most part are still interested in doing something like this, and the location doesn't matter too much as long as it offers all of the same, you know, comforts and advantages and perks and whatever. You know, like we all kind of value the same things. And at the end of the day, that's the most important part. Like as long as the cultural fabric of a community is suitable for you as long as the people that live there your neighbors are culturally compatible with you the rest of the details you know you can tweak stuff it's it's not a big deal like okay so we're not right by the ocean now we're not in a rainforest okay i can live with that (laughs) right right you know less tarantulas uh, i guess yeah, because there's there's trade-offs you know what we lose in maybe a picturesque postcard scenery we reclaim in convenience, we reclaim in like just having access to more of the modern conveniences that we were used to, like especially my my family is is vegan, and so like finding those particular products that especially that my wife and kid and stuff have come to like and everything like in Chile, they were considered uh, luxury goods. Like mm, they were right. high-end groceries that cost a lot more money and everything. And you could only get them in basically one supermarket in the nearest city. And right. 
Whereas in North America, they're much more plentiful. I, I go down to like the Loblaws supermarket or whatever, and they have everything. <laughs> so awesome. Awesome. So yeah. it's like, there's, there are plenty of trade-offs. And that's the other thing is like, yeah, okay. If we were setting up like a safari where you go down and hunt commies, then okay, you don't need all those comforts. But if you're trying to make a nice family friendly kind of a community, then you have to appeal to the women, the, sure. the wives, because yeah. usually they make the final decisions in the household. Like even if somewhere looks cool to the husband, he has to win over the wife too. Otherwise they ain't moving. <laughs> right. Yeah. And what's that? Uh, I think Robert Heinlein had a quote that uh, any society that isn't centered around protecting women and children is destined to, to, uh, oblivion. Um, you know, cause that is who caretakes our next generation, yeah. who produces our next generation. And if, if, yeah. if you're not focused on basically protecting and, and caring for that, then, um, then you're screwed. So that, that's probably a good strategy. Um, okay. So I, I saw you, you have uh, a website or something that you just started. You're looking at a very interesting project there in Saskatchewan. Tell, tell us about that. Yeah, well, I've, I've got the process down now, you know, after yeah. a whole bunch of trial and error and figuring things out the hard way, I, I now have a template that I can apply to pretty much anywhere that I parachute into and say, okay, if I want to build a new intentional community here, I, I have a step-by-step -step process that I can just follow and get that done. So that's what I'm doing here. I'm doing kind of all the under the hood preliminary unsexy stuff first, like incorporating the company and you, and I've been away for over seven years now. So I'm basically a non-person and have to like get a driver's license all over again. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's a lot of really lame little steps that I have to deal with right now, but yeah. I do have a property picked out and everything. And there is a longer term plan in place to eventually get to the point where we incorporate our own municipality. So, wow. you know, so we have the ability, well, we actually have the mandate according to the Municipality Act and the Police Act to provide our own law enforcement. And, you know, as a municipality, you can set your own property tax rate, which obviously should be zero. And, and uh, you know, you can take charge of your own zoning policies and all that kind of stuff too. So you can have flexibility and let people build more unconventional structures. And yeah, so there's a lot you can do when you get to that point where you have 300 people and 150 houses where you can legally incorporate as a municipality, as a village, and then you can upgrade awesome. to town to town status later. And so, I'm yeah, getting boost goosebumps here, Gabriel. I mean, this oh, is, yeah. I, I think there's going to be a huge market for this because right now everyone's yeah. just like, what do we do? Like Wexit is a big thing. Like how do we break away from these tyrannical governments that have been oppressing us for the past year? Everyone's just like, you know, that, that ping pong ball is being held down. It's ready to burst forward yeah. and, and embrace solutions like this. So let's get into some of the details. Like how, how would this work? You incorporate a municipality. You you were in charge. Like, how would you run that without any taxes or fees or anything like that? Well, we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves before okay. you can even get. I, I want to get to the end, man. I want. I want to get. I want to see. <laughs> I know totally. Well, that's the thing is, I've you know I've been involved with the Seasteading Institute and all these various attempts at finding out the best way forward to achieve that kind of practical freedom, and. 
eventually I just realized that the local level is where you have the most effect on your actual life. Right. National level politics. Okay. Yeah, that's fun. That has its, its place, but it's mainly a distraction because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, Trudeau can pass whatever e- edicts he wants, but if your local cops aren't enforcing them, then they don't really mean anything. So, right. <laughs> so it's like, if you kind of need that insulation level at your own local level. So that's that's what I want to focus on first. But b- before we can get to that point, before you can legally incorporate a new municipality, you have to have 300 people living there and mm-hmm. 150 houses. So h- how do you get that? There's a few different approaches you could take. Like if you had a large company with that many employees, then you could just move them all into that one spot and do it that way. But I figure the simplest ways when when you're starting from scratch is just start with a c- country club because everyone kind of knows what that is. At right. first, I was thinking, okay, well, I have a tech company. I could use that to build a company camp- campus and do it that way. But most people don't really understand that. Most people aren't in the tech world and know how sure. that works. And that sounds kind of weird and scary. And so what's what's the most relatable, simple structure that I could start with that people would get? And that's a country club because there's tons of golf country clubs down here. Everyone kind of mm-hmm. knows what that is. People who just really love golf, they want to live at the golf course. So they, they join the club and they get a little cabin or whatever. And then, you know, ski hills and ski resorts and stuff do that too. And uh, equestrian centers do that. You know, there's a lot of different types. Actually, Blackwater started out as basically a country club for veterans. (laughs) Right. Wow. I didn't know that. So, like, I figure that's the simplest way to start is just pick out a nice piece of land, own it completely private, you know, so it's just private property, start a country club. And this is also useful in a practical sense because you're selling memberships. You're not legally selling real estate which means they're not securities, which means you can market them far and wide and not be worried about dealing with the SEC and all that nonsense, Mm. which is also great now that we have crypto tokens because Mm. the SEC regulates crypto tokens very strictly if they they fit the definition of a security, which utility tokens don't. But you have to be really careful about how you set it up so that it does fall under utility utility token definition and not a security because they would love for everything to be a security so that they could regulate everything. But you can set it up in such a way that it's a utility token. To, to do that, you have to make sure that it's only offered to people that are using, basically think of a c- casino. So right. chips in a casino are the physical equivalent of a utility token in the cryptocurrency world. Okay. So in a casino, the chips are only for people that are in the casino, patrons of it. They aren't right. for distribution far and wide. They aren't for trading on the open market outside of the c- casino. Now, people could do that. That's fine, but you're not allowed to market them as being for that purpose. Right. They're just for use in the casino as a functional matter of utility. They're a tool. Right. And so we can sell not non-fungible tokens that represent memberships. And basically all I'm, all, all I'm doing is saying, okay, well, if you want a certain amount of land to play with in this country club, the amount that you spend on your non-fungible token will reflect how much land you get to play with. So if you, uh-huh. and so it's, it's $1 per, per square foot. So if you just want to pitch a tent, maybe you only need a hundred square feet. You can spend a hundred dollars for your non-fungible token. That gives you your membership and your hundred square feet. You can come and claim it, go nuts. 
maybe you want a place to park your RV. Cool. You want, you want to build a little tiny house or something by the water. That's cool too. Just whatever you need. Or maybe you want to park a food truck or open a bar, you know, whatever right. it is, you know, you, you don't have to buy acres and acres of land out in the country just to do whatever it is you want to do. Think of more of like an urban setting. Like if you're in a small town, how much land do you actually need? You don't need right. to buy more than that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so, yeah. so, so, so you that's kind of these how, NFTs. how we start as yeah. a country club and as like assuming that it's appealing and it, it does well and it attracts people, then it, it grows its population and instead of charging dues, which would be the country club equivalent of taxes, right? <laughs> right. Um, we just have a central business that raises the, the revenue necessary to do the, the basics, like keep the main driveway, you know, maintained and the main gate and have a security guard by the gate and maintain the parking lot there. And so the property that we're going after here has a nice uh, building right on the waterfront that is perfect for hosting e events and festivals and corporate retreats and various functions, conventions, performances. And so as long as like that's run as a, a business, well, then there's no need to charge dues. The mm -hmm. main thing is that you avoid the temptation to try to socialize people's pet projects, you know, cause that, that always happens with like homeowners associations and things. I lived at one in California for a couple of years and uh, it just basically was a little cabal of busy bodies <laughs> fleecing everyone else in order to fund their golf course. <laughs> gotcha. And uh, it, it's really easy for that to happen. Like if, if you have this apparatus in place where you're collecting dues on a regular basis from all of your members, then it's like, Oh, what do we spend all this on? Right. How much can yeah. we raise? You yeah. know, and we need to have a committee to determine this. And then yeah. the people that get on that committee are the worst kind of people that you would want yeah. on that committee. And next thing you know, <laughs> yeah, there are exactly. all the Karens congregate to the committee. Yeah. Yeah. So right from day one, it's just none of that, no special interest lobbying to, you know, collect funds from all the members and build special no just if you want something you got the square footage for it go nuts if you want right. to build a tennis court go build your tennis court go what you don't have enough okay well then maybe there's other people that like tennis too and you can get them in on it you know just right just no socializing it you know just keep right. it a private effort and that's that that's great I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what all little things pop up here and there and that's the other thing too, is like, you can't even anticipate what those are, are going to be. So why right. even try, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that sounds really appealing. Have, now, have you looked at, um, you know, some of the things I've thought of in the past are there's, there's these, uh, abandoned towns basically in BC. Yeah. Uh, I think Tumblr Ridge is one I know back a while ago when the, the coal mine went, uh, yeah. went bankrupt or whatever, a bunch of friends of mine would buy like basically skidoo cabins, which were like 2000 square foot double car garage bungalows for like 10, 15 grand where they could park their skidoos and go sledding in the winter yeah. with a beautiful home basically there. And I think there's a few of these towns around. Have you, have you looked at anything like that or? Yeah, there weren't any that really were suitable for this kind of a thing. Um, right. Usually either they're too small or they're run down and the cost of restoring them, like you might as well just start from scratch. Right. Um, or the location is super remote and hard to get to. And like, 
this location we have here is a 50 minute drive from an international airport along a main highway. So mm -hmm. accessibility is fantastic and it's really hard to beat that for that level. Like it's a 500 uh, acre property. And so to get that much land with waterfront along a major highway close to a, a major airport, like in BC or Alberta, you're looking at millions and millions of dollars. It's, yeah. it's yeah, not, yeah. it's not feasible for a startup. Like maybe someday we'll, we'll be able to afford to start like a, a band for a Jasper park kind of a satellite thing, but, communities. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, cost of real estate was a factor in choosing this place for sure. Saskatchewan, you can still get a place like this for a million bucks. Right. And, uh, that's, that's totally doable. Um, the mining towns that have gone out of business and they're abandoned and stuff like maybe we'll be able to make use of them someday for something else, like maybe little satellite settlements or something like that. But when you're starting the first one of its kind, that is likely going to attract some attention. You don't want it to be substandard and you don't want to have a lackluster example of the principle that you're trying to demonstrate. You know, I want this to be a showpiece of how things can work and how other people could do them too. So right. it's, it, there's no point in making things more difficult than the th they have to be. <laughs> right. And actually yeah, yeah. one factor too is like in terms of construction methods, one of the, one of the construction systems that I like to, to use for this is a monolithic dome structure that's earth, earth covered. And right. so I went shopping around for construction companies that specialize in this. And there's only one in, in Canada. And they just happened to be in Saskatoon. Oh, beauty. Actually, just a little bit north of Saskatoon on the highway that this property's on. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's serendipitous. So it, there was so much serendipity going in, into this. And so that kind of narrowed my search field. Right. Like, okay, well, I called up this, this company and started talking to the owner. And I wanted to know, like, let's say I find the perfect property in Ontario, you know, because at first that's where I was looking. I was finding a lot of good land deals just west of Ottawa. And I thought, oh, well, it would be fun to be within Harowitzer range of Justin Trudeau's house. But, um, <laughs> mm -hmm. but, uh, so I asked him, like, does it matter where, where this is? Can you ship, uh, supplies and manpower and stuff? And like, how much does that affect the cost and everything? It, it became painfully clear, like, especially now that building supplies are so expensive. He said, well, the closer to here that you can do it, the better. And he, right. he immediately tried to sell me on how great Saskatchewan is. <laughs> right, right. Said, okay, well, you don't have to convince me. I'm actually from there, okay? <laughs> but, nice. uh, so I, I started shopping around that area and, and found this property that belongs to a famous artist in this province that I grew up admiring as a kid. I used to see his ads on TV and my grandmother owned several of his prints and he was like this hero that inspired me to start painting when I was a kid. And now I stumble on his, his home with his studio and everything that he's selling. It's like, what? No way. And it's like, it's on the lake that he used to paint at and everything. It's like, this is way too targeted to me wow, specifically. Wow. <laughs> it's like the and universe is trying to tell you something. Yeah. It's such a unique property too, that it's not going to appeal to most people. Cause like right now in general, the real estate market is very hot. And things don't last long, but this has been on the market for six months and like they're having a hard time getting interest because it's such a unique place. Right. And, uh, but it's, 
uniquely perfect for me. So here we are. There you go. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, man, I, I'm like, my brain is lit up right now with just thinking, you know, uh, how could I sell firefighting there? Right. Like what, what oh, kind yeah. of subscription model could I have, you know, insurance. I, yeah, for sure. Insurance. Like, uh, you know, I, I always had this little fantasy because when I was in T- Tanzania years ago, climbing Kilimanjaro, I noticed that there were all these, you know, Tanzania it just had some kind of reforms, free market reforms. Um, you know, maybe the, a decade before I got there, and it was a, it was still a developing country, not very rich, but you could see just the entrepreneurial spirit and the hustle and bustle and and the the, the drive people had, and so it didn't have the infrastructure, the government infrastructure for you know police, fire, ambulance type things that we kind of take for granted here in North America, and so the market provides right, and and you see all these companies offering. Uh, fire response and EMS response and security services all for a subscription fee. And they would do things like guarantee a response time. Like there's no guarantee for response times I've heard of in any government run fire department, uh, yeah. you know, and, and they would offer lower subscription rates. Let's say for you, you uh, have an agreement with me that my inspector can come in at random and just do a, a quick inspection to make sure you're fire safe and you'll we'll give you a lower fire rate. If you don't want it, that inspection, no big deal. You just pay a higher subscription uh, fee for response. So all these different models, you know, yeah, I've been really curious. Like I thought, man, it would be a fun adventure to go over there and start up my own competing uh, fire service and start maybe a fire academy and tra- train some of the locals up and do, you know. So this this is really got my brain on fire. And I bet you it'll get a lot of people thinking about what they could do, uh, you know, I think this is just the right time. I think serendipity is what describes this all the way down. Um, yeah. I think you're going to have a big demand for this. And, I, and I'm already thinking, well, how can I get involved? How can other people get involved? I know people that listen to this are going to want to get involved. So what's uh, what kind of help do you need? How can we help you get this off the ground? Well, I have about a month of work here to do in terms of just legal groundwork, getting everything ready and stuff. I have sold the first uh, non-fungible token-based membership just as like a historical milestone kind of a thing. And I mean, if if you want to do it that way, then I can hook you up with one too. Um, Otherwise, you know, old-fashioned, just buying a bank wire-based membership and stuff, that's all cool too. But anyway, we are going to go into the fundraising mode here next month, most likely. And at that point, we're just going to sell a million square feet, you know, to raise the money to purchase the land and start building the essential infrastructure, like putting the wells in and the water tower and, you know, just those things that allow people to actually get settled. And, and then the, the first people to move in will likely be the people with like RVs and stuff that just want to pull in and jump, jump right to work, you know? So I'm, I'm looking forward to those guys and, and uh, the construction direction that we're, well, Basically, we're encouraging people to build for themselves whatever they want, but I also want to build rental properties too to, to offer as a way to also demonstrate construction methods that work best in the area and everything, showcase them, and also have places for guests to stay. Like if if the central clubhouse is going to be run as a business that maintains I- infrastructure, then it should have places for guests to stay for festivals or conferences and that kind of stuff. So I'm going to be busy with that, just building right. r- 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 rental houses and cabins and, and that sort of thing. 
So there's, there's going to be plenty to do for anyone that's inclined towards construction or landscaping or any of that kind of stuff. And Beautiful. like you said, basic services like firefighting, law enforcement, security, all that kind of stuff. Like everything's needed. Like if you want to start a postal service, man, just <laughs> jump on in there and be the first mover, you know, like just because the state does something doesn't mean it does it best. And it doesn't mean yeah. that that's what's going to work best for us. It's like usually these things are socialized and outsourced to the government just because of laziness. And like, like, for instance, if you read the Saskatchewan Police Act, it actually makes it very clear that it's the municipality's responsibility to provide police services to their people. Mm-hmm. How they do that is not defined or like th- there is no one way that that has to be fulfilled it does list options like obviously the most straightforward way is to just start your own police service and provide services that way. But later on down the road, they amended it to point out that, Oh, there's this other option where you can outsource this responsibility by hiring the RCMP. Hmm. And so most small communities just do that because it's easiest, right? right? You don't have to think about it. You don't have to manage your own police chief and your own staff and all that kind of stuff. There's no liability issues, all that but just because that's the norm now, just because everyone does that doesn't mean that that's the best way or that you have to do that. There are small towns still that have their own police. There aren't very many, but there are a few. I'm going to go down and do a little mini documentary showing how they work. And even university campuses like University of Saskatchewan here, they have their own on-campus police. Um, you don't see the RCMP or the, or the Saskatoon Police Service patrolling around on campus because they have their own cops, you know? Right. So like... Anything you want to do, like don't think that your profession or your skill set is is not wanted or there's not going to be any demand for it. Like we're not going to be calling the state services to help. So like if if you're inclined to do that sort of thing, then by all means, jump right in. Right. There's, there's, there's no end to what you can do. It's, it's just going to be a, a matter of the free market sorting out who's worthy. <laughs> like yeah, if there's yeah. two different competing security companies then you know they're gonna either have to offer something unique that the other doesn't or you know they're gonna have to fight till one of them cries uncle or you know know, the market sorts that stuff out that that's not for the club to worry about yeah yeah very cool very cool oh man I'm, i'm so excited about this well i won't keep you any longer you got a lot of stuff to do um where can people find out uh, about this project and, and what you're up to? Friendlypark.com. Friendly F-R-E-N-L-Y, as in friends, you know. Right, if you right. look it up in Urban Dictionary, it's essentially just a good friend. Maybe right. not your, your bestie, but it's probably your top five friends. So F-R-E-N-L-Y-Park.com. Friendly Park, I like it. Awesome. <laughs> cool. Well, I wish you luck. And uh, man, I'm... I'm I can't wait to get this this uh, message out to people. You know, I'm getting kind of disillusioned with politics, and um, and you know, I've been hammering my head against a brick wall for a long time. This is giving me some hope and and positive. Well, that's a solutions. subject for another time. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you betcha. So, um, yeah, uh, awesome to hear from you. Great, great to have you back in Canada. And uh, you know, I wish you nothing but the best on this project and. Anything I can do to help or promote it, you just let me know uh, because I'm all in on this. So thanks so much. Right on. Take care.